Hey, good morning. Last week I told you guys and did a couple weeks earlier about an Easter series we have coming out, not Easter Sunday, but an Easter series. For four weeks, we're going to talk about living hope. How do you live every day with hope practically? And we're going to focus in on the fact that Jesus said he is the living hope. And so how do we translate that into our everyday lives? We're going to spend four weeks doing that. And for those four weeks, our plan is to do three services, one at 8.30, 10, and 11.30 for those four weeks to make room for more uh, and see how it goes, just for four weeks. Um, And we asked you guys to fill out a card that looks exactly like this uh, last week and pass it in uh, to give us an indication of two things. One, which service are you most likely to attend? And I want to thank you so much for the feedback. Let me kind of tell you how it played out. These are the cards. This is how many of you responded. So thank you. Yeah, isn't that awesome? So in terms of service times, 8 30, 11.30. 11.30 is a little bit more than 8.30. That surprised me. 10. Okay? I don't know if you can see all that, but it kind of oh, I feel like kind of like a DJ all of a sudden spinning this thing. It's it's nothing like a DJ. I don't know why I said that. So you can see here, it's about even if you stack the outer services with the uh, 10 o'clock service. So the thing is, uh, we want people to 10 o'clock service. I don't think that'll be a problem getting people there. So what I would, and and the other thing we ask you on the card is, flip over that backside of the card there. There you go. At the bottom, would you, might you be interested in serving in kids ministry during uh, one or more of those four weeks. Uh, 49 of you said, I'd be willing to have a conversation about that. 10 of you are shadowing today in kids ministry, quickly kind of taking a step to see, is this a good fit for me? And I just want to say thank you so much for doing that. This is our plan. And actually, there's these cards. If you did not fill out a card last week to tell us which service you might attend, it's not our RSVP, that, like, we're not going to save you a seat. It's not StubHub. You're not buying a seat. And, and it's, not the, you know, it's not guaranteeing you a seat. And you can change your mind. We're just trying to get an idea over that four weeks, where might people land? If you didn't tell us that, would you please pull out the card? And what I would ask, this is something I just it always get a better response when we do this. If everybody would pull out a card, even if you already filled out a card, if you didn't fill it out, you can put it in, 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 in back in its pocket, seat back pocket in front of you, or under the chair if you're on the front row. Um, if you did not tell us which service you might attend, or if you said, ah, change of plans, which is okay. Just write, change of plans, move from this one to this one. Just kind of indicate that on the back of the card by circling 8.30, 10, or 11.30 to let us know. It's going to help us kind of plan and prepare logistically. The other thing is if you did not say, hey, I might be willing to have a conversation about serving in kids ministry, one or more times during that four weeks. Uh, Sometimes it's serving as a sub when someone calls in sick. That happens from time to time, this time of year especially. Uh, Or I might be willing to help one or two of the weeks, or sometimes you can serve in kids' ministry and not even serve directly with kids. There are some behind-the-scenes roles and welcome roles and greeter roles and things like that. So if that might be you, I would ask you to write down your name and email. And if you did that already and no one's contacted you, check your email. Specifically, go back to last Tuesday and check your email uh, because we, you know, this is the way we're trying to reach out to you, but we're not gonna, we don't want to hound you. 
But if you're interested and you express that, that's probably the way you'll be contacted, first of all. So if you could take out those cards. If you've already filled it out, just look at it for a minute. Just pretend like you're doing it. Just go like that. Pretend you're writing it. It helps other people participate. If you did not tell us which service you're attending, circle which one you might be attending. And if you might be willing to serve in kids' ministry at some point during that week, uh, during that series, one or more of those weeks, would you kind of write your name and email? And in one minute, the greeters are going to come down, down in kind of these aisles right here, and just pass them to the end of the row, and we'll collect those. Again, Live Oak, since uh, 2015, the last three and a half years, we've experienced 80% growth, which is a great thing. I I'm, I'm hope people are connecting to Christ in community and finding a place that they can belong and call home. Um, there are others that we would like to reach and connect with as well. And so making room for them will really help us out. Um, again, I just want to, I can't thank you enough. It's, it may not seem like a big deal to you to fill out a card. It's a huge deal to us. You're, you're telling us something. You're communicating with us that helps us plan and be a good manager and steward of what we have here at Live Oak. Uh, and um, the other thing I would be asking you to be praying about, again, fill out the cards, and then when you're done, pass them to the center of these aisles over here. So pass them this way and pass them this way. And if, uh, as you look around, every time you see an empty seat, would you pray about, do I know somebody that needs to be connected to Christ in community and make an invitation? Because statistically what happens is when a church gets to be this size, it just becomes insider-focused, our heart is to be outsider-focused. And when a church gets to be this size, we just stop inviting and connecting. And so I want to encourage you to always have a heart for who's not connected and um, be invitational. Well, we're in this series, and the greeters are going to keep kind of collecting those if you have those. Uh, we're doing in this series called Quiet, about how God really wired you with this need for quiet. Like, you need this. But we don't live in a quiet world. We need that for our own life, our personal well-being, and our soul. We need that to connect with God well. We, need, we talked about we need it to connect with others well. Listening well is important. That quiet really is necessary, and quiet li- listening is needed to love others well. That's what we talked about last week. James, the brother of Jesus, in James chapter 1 said this, My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen and slow to speak. And he also adds it in slow to become angry, which I think is a byproduct but it's also of the first two, but it's also a choice we have to make of what we do with our anger. But quiet listening really is necessary to love others well. Well, as we think about that and our need for loving others well through being quick to listen and slow to speak, I got to thinking about this a little bit. Sometimes like, it's a weird thing for people that do what I do for a living in terms of teaching like this is, you get done and you go home and you go, oh, I wish I had said that. Or, oh, I, I, I keep thinking about it. And I try to keep thinking about it for my own life. But I thought, well, we got one more week of this. I thought I'd just kind of add what I really thought afterwards. I go, I, I think I should have said this. I started thinking about, I, and I've said this before, I think it's interesting how we treat time and money with the same vocabulary. We budget our time, we invest our time. And I started thinking those are two very valuable com- commodities in our life, time and money. Then I started thinking, well, how does it apply to words? Like, like, that's a commodity. Now, we can speak and spend frivolously, and, and, we, can, and we can over-talk, and, and again, if you're going to be slow to speak, it's almost like you're budgeting your, your words. You're budgeting your speech. 
And I started thinking about that term, what would it look like if I treated my words like money this week? That I didn't have an endless supply. That I, could, I should be carefully, I should budget what I say and say less. And for the words that I do say, what if I treated those as investments? That I want to invest very wisely with what I say. Because actually that's what our words are, they're investments. Our words impact others. Whether we say it to them, whether we say it to others, whether we say it on social media, what we say impacts others. So we need to think about how we're investing our words and invest them wisely. And in, in this quiet series, it's really more than just being quiet. It's the idea of purposeful, quiet listening and then intentional speaking out of that. And the thing that got me thinking about this last week, and I'm trying to do this more, it seems very simple, is just to think before I speak, but also realize that every word I say is a spiritual investment in the soul of somebody else to pray before I speak. God, is there something here you want me to say? Imagine how our lives would be different if we stopped and we were slow to speak. And we said, God, is there something here you want me to say? Or should I say this? I'm about to say this. Should I really say this? And I think the idea of being quiet really helps with that. Well, today I want to talk about this idea of quiet zones. And I'm going to need your help in this. Can you think of a place in life where it's just kind of expected that you're going to be quiet? Or maybe a place where you're encouraged to be quiet. And I'll tell you an example of of how that played out for me. Several years ago, I got a chance, and for me, it was a chance of a lifetime to go to the Masters Golf Tournament in Augusta, Georgia. Every year, I put my name in for this random lottery where if they select your name and the amount of tickets you want, you get the chance. You don't win the tickets. You win the chance to buy the tickets. And I wanted two tickets for two days. Wednesday, the, the last day of the practice round in the par three tournament before the tournament starts, and Thursday, the first day of the tournament. Well, I got a notice from the Masters that I had one tickets, two tickets for Thursday. I didn't get Wednesday. But I decided I'm going to sell one ticket. And again, I'm an introvert. I'm okay going by myself to stuff. I'll sell one ticket. And for all those that affected that thought they were going, I apologize. Um, I sold that ticket and I bought a Wednesday ticket um, for the par three. And the last day of practice time. And Tiger Woods had been out, but he had just announced he's going to play in the Masters. And so ticket prices shot up. So I was able to sell my ticket. I don't know if I'm, can, I, can this be held against me if I say this? Anyway, the economics of it worked out well. And I was able to um, be a good steward of my resources. And, uh, but the par three tickets went up too. So it was almost, anyway, I got to go to both days and it was amazing. And the thing is, like, there are these people if you, anyone's ever been to a golf tournament live, like a professional one, okay. Like they have these people that have these signs that they hold up when someone's about to hit and they say, quiet. And I was like, where in the world can you get away with this? Like if you're talking to me, can I just kind of go? <laughs> don't do it with your spouse. <laughs> Kids, don't do it with your parents. Like there's very few places you can get away with just saying, Quiet, please. But there are some places where you can. A golf tournament is one. What are places in life that actually quiet is almost intuitive? Like, like you find yourself, everyone just kind of knows, hey, we're supposed to be quiet here. A golf tournament would be one example. Can you think of other sports? Tennis? Someone said tennis? Bowling? 
Billiards, okay. The big four of sports, bowling, billiards, tennis, and golf. But most sports, it's not encouraged. As a matter of fact, I was at the Tech game Wednesday night, the Tech basketball game, and at one point, the coach is going like this, trying to get the crowd to be loud. There was no, at no point, that he stand and look at the crowd and go, quiet, please. What about just in life? What are areas of life where it's just kind of like, shh, you got to be quiet? Library? Courtroom? Funeral? Theater? Hospitals? Movies? Like, I, I think, like, during the star test, like, when kids are, like, like, there's a lot of effort to keep people quiet. And if you can keep a, room, a school full of kids quiet, man, that's amazing, you know? But somehow, it's encouraged. The hospital's like that. There are places where it's encouraged. You're, you just kind of know you're supposed to be quiet. They're quiet zones. The library, if someone talks too loud, shh, quiet. There really should be more quiet zones in our world than there really are. We need quiet. And if there's going to be zones and places that are quiet, it's going to be kind of up to us to do that. We're going to have to create some of those quiet zones and be intentional. There are times that that slow to speak needs to become an absolute stop. And one of those areas where I think if you could just imagine, anytime you hear this, you imagine some guy walking out with a sign that just said, quiet. Quiet is necessary in areas of slander, gossip, and untruth. They're poison to the soul. They're poison to relationships. They're poison to your spiritual health. They're poison to unity. Those are quiet zones. Places where quiet is required. Gossip, of course, is talking about somebody versus talking to somebody. Slander is tearing somebody down. Untruth, we know what that is. It's something that's simply not true. Or we don't know it's true. But there are certain areas and parts of how we speak about each other where we should be talking to each other or just not at all. Proverbs 11.13 says, A gossip betrays confidence, but a trustworthy person keeps a secret. Proverbs 16.28, A perverse person stirs up conflict, and a gossip separates close friends. Proverbs 18.8, the words of a gossip are like choice morsels. They go down to the innermost or inmost parts. Proverbs 26.20, without wood, a fire goes out. Without gossip, a quarrel dies down. Those are all from the book of Proverbs where there's this idea where it's just again and again, this is the wise thing to do is to talk less, listen more, and to be quiet in areas of gossip, slander, and untruth. But it's also in the New Testament. Peter, one of the disciples of Jesus, writes this book called First Peter, this letter to, the, to believers like us, if that's you. He writes to people like us, and he says, here's something that's very, very important. And in First Peter 2, 1, he says, therefore, because of what Jesus has done for you, rid yourselves of all malice, of all deceit, hypocrisy, envy, and slander of every, every kind. Rid yourselves of that. There are areas where it's, it's just being slow to speak isn't enough. It needs to be a stop. 
And when it comes to gossip, untruth, slander, and anything like that, we need to be stopped. We need to be quiet and create a quiet zone. But there are times in the middle of that where quiet is not okay, that you actually need to speak up and go to somebody. Because again, gossip is talking about someone rather than talking to the person. And sometimes just talking to a person direct, direct, face-to-face changes everything. That's why Jesus said in Matthew 18, if your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault just between the two of you. And if they listen to you, you've won them over. But if they will not listen, take one or two others along. Now when he says a brother or sister, he's talking about a fellow disciple, someone else who's following Jesus. Because we're a child of God, but we're not an only child, and how we follow together matters. And it says if someone sins, or your translation may say, or if somebody sins against you, and the question is, which is it? It's hard to know from the wording what it is. Some transcripts say, uh, or manuscripts, I'm sorry, say sins against you, but the most basic phrase is just the word sins, someone who does wrong. And the Bible has a lot of verses supporting uh, the importance of both. But whatever it is, when somebody is in the wrong, our instinct is to talk about that person. Sometimes, as, as a Christian, we can phrase it as, hey, we really need to pray for so-and-so. They really, they're in a tough spot. Really? Tell me more. And sometimes we couch gossip in terms of prayer request. Or sometimes we're like, hey, I, I need help. I need some coaching on the best way to handle this situation. And we talk to somebody else before we talk to the person. But it's very clear what's important and what could resolve so many conflicts is talking to the person and with the person, not about the person. Jesus even said in the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew 5 that if somebody sins against you, stop what you're doing in terms of worshiping him and go to that person and make it right or seek to make it right. And then there's this amazing passage in Ephesians 4 that talks about where we just can't be quiet, where we, silence is not okay. In areas of conflict, areas of silence, like we need to speak up. Areas of gossip, untruth, slander, all of that, we need to speak up. Conflict as well, because we want to make it right. But there's this idea that our words, again, they're investments because they matter. And they don't just matter to the person who's hearing them, they matter to the person who's saying them. And there's this passage in Ephesians 4, which is so rich with, with so many applications here. In Ephesians 4, 15, as a matter of fact, if you have it open, it might be helpful because there's so much in this passage that you might miss. But Ephesians 4, verses 15, there's a verse that we use a lot. Instead, speaking the truth in love. And we talk about that a lot around here. That the way we're supposed to be using our words is speaking truth in love. And the way it's been said, I can't remember who originally said it. It was years ago at at Live Oak, somebody said this, and it kind of just almost became a core value that, Truth without love is brutality, and love without truth is deception. Like, you need both. But in this passage where it says this, there's so much that's happening before it and after it that show the importance of what it really means to do that. Because it says instead, so obviously there's something before that. And in verse 14, it says this, Then we will no longer be infants, talking about our our maturity and our faith, our spiritual maturity, tossed back and forth by the waves, blown here and there by every wind of teaching and by the cunning and craftiness of people in their deceitful scheming. He said, there's something about your spiritual maturity 
that keeps you following Jesus no matter what. But without spiritual maturity, you tend to get kind of tossed from side to side and direction to direction and moved around. And before that, it gives some idea that we're really really supposed to use whatever gifting God's given you is to build others up to spiritual maturity to where they grow up in their faith. But here he says, you're kind of like an infant who's tossed around. But then it goes on to say this, and here's the whole context of 15 and 16. Instead, speaking the truth in love, like that's good, and if we do that, it'll change our relationships. But it's not just about our relationship with each other, it's really about our spiritual maturity, our spiritual growth. We will grow to become in every respect the mature body of him who is the head, that is Christ. From him, from Jesus, the whole body is joined and held together by every supporting ligament, grows and builds itself up in love as each part does its work. Now it's talking about both our gifting, how we use however God's gifted you, but also how we're using our words. How we're uh, connecting to each other, communicating to each other, and serving each other, one another with our gifts. In fact, what it says here are words and how we speak to each other, speaking the truth in love, does three things. One, it's an evidence of our spiritual growth. Like my kids had this growth chart on um, growing up, like where we marked like how tall they were, and at some point we kind of forgot, and then it becomes like, gosh, should we, do we, do we just go back and guess? Or It was a neat thing, but we forgot about it for a while, but you can kind of measure growth. We can do that physically. There are certain measures that you can measure growth in a lot of different areas of life, but spiritual growth, how do you measure that? Well, one of the measures of spiritual growth is how do you use your words? It's an evidence of spiritual maturity and spiritual growth. Your words will show evidence. Jesus said, out of the mouth, the hearts, or out of the heart, the mouth speaks. What we say is a reflection of what's going on on the inside. Both what we say out loud and also what we're saying in our head. It's also, your words are a pathway to growing in spiritual maturity. Like if you want to grow spiritually, have God take hold of your words. But also because it's out of the heart, the mouth speaks, you want it to go much deeper than just the actual words you're saying, but the core of who you are. But if you want to grow in your faith, words will be a big part of that. And your words are a pathway for you growing spiritually. If you involve God with what you're saying this week, especially in those areas, if you're resolving conflict, conflict, you're speaking in areas that are truthful and build others up, and you're not speaking in ways that tear people down with gossip, slander, or untruth, you're going to grow spiritually, especially if you've involved God in the process. But the other thing is your words, what it says here is your words can be used by God to help others grow spiritually. And that's his plan, that your words would do something, that he would use those in the life of others to point them to him, help them follow him, and build them up to be the people God created them to be. And this next verse is aren't on the screen. Let me just kind of summarize. Actually, I'm just going to read it to you. He kind of says in response to this something that's kind of the contrary. Here's what the opposite looks like. He says, so I tell you this, and insist on it in the Lord. So apparently it's really important to him that you must no longer live as the Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They're darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they've given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity and they're full of greed. 
Then he goes on and says this. That, however, is not the way of life you learn when you heard about Christ and were taught in him accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life, who you were apart from Jesus, to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, and to be made new in the attitude of your minds. Again, it's out of the heart that the the mouth speaks. And to put on this new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. And the truth is, we could have somebody follow us around every day that every time we started to say something that wasn't kind, that wasn't true, that wasn't to the person directly, they could say, hey, remember, quiet, please. And we wouldn't get it down right, but we can improve our speech dramatically. But in your life, if you only pay attention to your behavior and not to your identity of who you are in Christ, it doesn't matter. Your relationships might go better. You might get in less trouble for for saying the wrong thing or talking out of turn, or you might have less conflict in relationships. But your relationship with others and the, the power of your words, it all comes down to the core of who are you? Who are you in Christ? And are you living out of this identity of who he's called you to be in Christ? Are you living in your former self? And then really the question of identity is who's at the center of your world? Because the old self puts ourselves at the center of our world. But the new self puts Jesus at the center. Who's at the center of your world? Because that will affect, impact, and change your words goes on to say this, verse 25. Therefore, because of all of that, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor. Neighbor, Again, be quiet. If it's untrue, if it's falsehood, don't do that. If it's truthfulness, do that. Speak truthfully to your neighbor. For we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry. And do not give the devil a foothold. And we know what happens if you go to sleep angry. If you're driving in your car angry, you're having conversations. You're not quiet. You're telling people what you think and where they're wrong. And I I knew you'd do that. We have these conversations. Sometimes that aren't even reality. I've told this joke before. Like Bob Newhart tells this story about going to sleep one night. And all of a sudden he wakes up because his wife punches him. It's like, what are you doing? She said, I had a dream we were at a party and you were flirting with some girl. I said, but I didn't do that. She goes, well, it just sounds like something you do. And, you know, I mean, it's just, if it sounds like something, again, is it true? Does it pass the truth test? Speak truth and love. Does it pass the truth test? And does it pass the love test? Both are required entrance exams for any word that's going to come out. And anger is one of those places where bad stuff gets bred. Verse 28. See, excuse me, 29. Do not let any unwholesome talk come out of your mouths, but only what is helpful for building others up according to their needs, that it may benefit those who listen. If there were three filters that you would use this week, it, it would be this. Is it truthful? Is it loving? And does it build somebody up? Again, we have a quiet deficit in our world. And if it doesn't fall in those categories, maybe just sit a few plays out. Just be quiet for a while. Listen more. Talk less. Start by praying, God, is there something you want me to say here? 
But I love this verse. This is a verse we try to teach our kids, and I try to teach myself. I try to memorize it and have it at the forefront of my mind a lot. Because if I can run through this through, have this verse running through my head and saying, this is who God wants my words to be. This, that it benefits those who listen. It builds others up. It's aware of their needs. And again, if you're going to be aware of someone's needs, quiet listening will be required to love others well. And that verse is incredibly powerful. It's very, it's got a lot to it. And it goes on to say this. I think that's a great focal verse, but this. Isn't it interesting that he puts this verse in the middle of all these verses about our words? And do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Your identity of who you are when God's at the center, he seals that. That's who you are. Live out of that. Grieving the Holy Spirit is somehow placed right in the middle of how we speak to and treat each other, how we build others up or tear each other down. And then he says something similar that Peter said. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling, and slander, along with every form of malice. Like, get rid of that. Quiet in those areas. Silence that. But you're not silent when you can do this. When your words, you can be kind. With your words, you can be compassionate. With your words, you can forgive each other. So much of conflict resolution is going to the person and helping them be aware of their fault. What if we treated conflict resolution as saying, hey, I want you to know that, man, this kind of got between us, but I forgive you. I want to forgive you the way Jesus forgave me, just as in Christ, God forgave you. Like he sets the model for what that looks like. And Jesus sought out to forgive you before you asked for it. He went to the cross to pay the penalty for your sins. Like he said, I'm going to forgive you no matter what. My goal here is forgiveness and restoration of a relationship, not pointing out fault. I want us to be right. So he goes to the cross on your behalf and he says, that's the heart, the attitude I want you to have to others is I want relationships to be restored with God and with with me. I want those to be right. So what I say, I'm going to be careful. I'm going to use these filters. There is no one this week that will follow you around. And all of a sudden when someone starts gossiping, they're going to hold up a sign and says, quiet please. Most people respect that at a golf tournament. I've only seen one golf tournament where it wasn't respected. And it's when Shooter McGavin was playing Happy Gilmore for the Tour Championship <laughs> 23 years ago. What's that? What did he say? I'm sorry. Tiger Woods? Have you ever seen the golf tournaments? Like, like I've seen Tiger Woods lose it. Like someone talks in their backswing. It's just unacceptable you talk at a golf tournament. They lose it. But somehow, we're okay with somebody telling us something that's untrue. Although we don't know it's true. Or we hear it and we go, gosh, that really, I think less of that person based on what they just said, and we allow it. We live in a world where people have become sport. And the form of hunting is how we speak about each other, how we post about each other. But it starts with how we think about each other. And if you looked at every single person and recognized they have deep value to God, they were worth dying for and forgiving. They should be treated like the valuable people they are. We'll speak lovingly. We'll speak truthfully. 
We'll do what's necessary to seek people out and try and show them the right direction. We're going to be loving because Christ loved us. We're going to be forgiving because Christ forgave us. And I want to challenge you this week to be quiet in areas of gossip, slander, and untruth. When you hear it, picture the sign. It's not okay at a golf tournament. It's not okay in our lives. But there are times where you have to speak up in areas to build others up as you speak truth and love, as you ask for forgiveness, as you extend forgiveness. Your words matter more than you think. What's the, what's the thing we heard as kids? Sticks and stones may break my bones, but words will never hurt me. We know that's not true. And Jesus said it does more damage than we think because it tears people down. It makes them doubt their value. It breaks up relationships. It destroys unity. And it misses the opportunity for someone to understand their value and for us and others to grow in their faith. This week, I want to challenge you to create some quiet zones in your life. To especially practice quiet in any area that fits in like that. Let's stand for closing prayer. Next week, as as Philip said, it's time change Sunday. It's the closest we're going to come to time, time travel anytime soon as far as I can tell of. Um, you get a chance to jump an hour in time, just like that. That's how I spin it in my head to make it not so hard. It's also a family Sunday. I'll be teaching. I'm excited. I've got something prepared for kids and adults. It's for all of us, and, and I'm really excited about it. And then the next week, it's a family Sunday again. We're going to talk about St. Patrick's Day, and there's a valuable lesson from his life for us. So I encourage you to be here. Invite someone to join you, and let's pray together. Heavenly Father, thanks that you love us and that you're for us. You're for us. We know you're for us because you've offered us forgiveness even when we weren't asking for it. You, you went out of your way to pursue us and to make it possible for us to be made right with you, not based on what we've done, but because of what you've done in spite of what we've done. And God, words are such a powerful thing. We underestimate it, and we're taught from a very young age that Sticks and stones can't, you know, can break our bones, but words can never hurt us. But many of us have been deeply wounded by words. I pray you'd help us recognize that words are valuable because they're spoken to people, and people are the most valuable thing in this world. God, help us to have filters this week, to think before we speak and pray before we speak and ask, does it pass the love test and the truth test, and does it build others up? Is it beneficial? But God, most, for most of us, it, it's, it's not just cleaning up our language. We need a heart that's cleaned up and a mind that's made new. And you've promised to do all that work in our lives. And I pray that you would do that and the result will be people are built up and they know that they're loved, loved they know that they matter to you and that they matter to us. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thanks for being here. If you'd like to talk, I'll be down at the front.